He was a morbidly obese surgeon destined for an operating table and an early death. Now he's a rebel MD who is fabulously fit and fighting to make America healthy again. This is Stay Off My Operating Table with Dr. Philip Ovedia. Well, welcome back to the Stay Off My Operating Table podcast with Dr. Philip Ovedia. Dr. O, today, uh, as I work through this book of yours, this chapter, what is it, chapter six, really makes, uh, I'm sorry, chapter five, the seven principles of metabolic health. I love it when smart people put things into short, concise lists. So if you don't mind, I would love it if you would expand on what the seven principles of metabolic health are. We touched a little bit on it last, oh, somewhere in the last, somewhere in the last several episodes. But I'd really like to, to look at all seven if time permits. What do you say? Sure thing, Jack. And it's great to be back with you again. So as you said, you know, I try and stick to high-level concepts and keep things simple for people because I think the simpler that you can make things like metabolic health, which can obviously be a very complex topic, I think the simpler we can make them, the better chance people have of understanding it and making the changes that they need to in order to support and optimize their metabolic health. So I tried to think about, you know, what are the big principles that I had learned about um, as I was discovering metabolic health. Yep. That and, sounds like I, what, I'm, what I'm looking for. Simple yeah. bite-sized stuff I can get my hands around. So why don't we start with, I'm just going to go through the seven principles and then yeah, we'll go back and we'll, we'll, you know, go into each one in a little bit more detail. So the first principle is to reframe your health as a system, not a goal. The second principle. Okay. okay. I just want to make sure we are going to come back and dig into this, right? Yes. Okay. Yes. Good. But let's outline them for people. Great. The second principle is to eat real whole food. The third principle is make one sustainable change at a time. The fourth principle is move. The fifth principle is sleep enough. The sixth principle is relieve stress. And the seventh principle is get a doctor who gets it. So I think when people hear that list, they're going to, you know, hopefully understand that these are the simple things that are going to guide them through metabolic health. So why don't we go back and start with the first yeah. principle? Yes, please. That one, that one, I think is, um, that one seems to me to be kind of the pivot of everything else. So, yeah. yeah, let's let's look at that. So reframe health as a system, not a goal. And I think this really gets to the underlying mindset that I think is important to people making the changes they need to around their health, around their metabolic health. And, you know, I talk about in the chapter how this is sort of built off of the Scott Adams concept of, you know, systems versus goals. Oh, okay. Now, you know, to go uh, to kind of start with a, a story, you know, most people, when they think about improving their health, they come up with very 
you know, concrete goals in terms of doing that. Yeah. So, and you know, most common one is I want to lose weight. And then they say, I want to lose 20 pounds. So what do I need to do to lose 20 pounds? And they'll figure out, you know, what they need to do in their mind to lose 20 pounds. And one of two things happens. Either they have success and they lose 20 pounds and they're, you know, very happy with themselves about that. And they say, okay, I lost 20 pounds. You know, I I met my goal and now I can kind of go back to what I was doing before. Yeah. And invariably, when we do that, we usually, you know, when we're talking about weight loss, we tend to gain back the weight and more. The second possibility is they say, I want to lose 20 pounds and I'm going to do everything I need to do to lose 20 pounds. But in the end, losing 20 pounds is is not that easy. And many people fail. They don't lose the 20 pounds. And after a while, they kind of give up on themselves and they say, oh, I wasn't able to lose the 20 pounds. So, you know, why bother with any of this healthy stuff I've been doing? I'm just going to go back to what I was doing before. And ultimately, you know, they don't have the long term success that they need. What I think is most effective for people to do is to realize that their health is a system. It's not a goal. You need to come up with habits that are going to support your health throughout your life, that are going to keep you metabolically healthy throughout your life and not be so concerned about the short-term goals. And I think when you do that, it helps you better figure out what are the things that are going to get you to support your metabolic health. So instead of saying, I am not going to eat certain foods because I want to lose 20 pounds, I think it's better to say, I'm going to eat these foods because they support my health. They support my metabolic health. And when we do that, I think we have better success in the long run. So in one way, what what we're doing is talking about setting your target much, much farther out rather than rather than something that is near enough that if you hit it, you'll probably quit doing what you were doing. And if you don't hit it, you're going to be disappointed and quit what you were doing. This probably falls under the the category of you have to just simply think differently. Yes, start that's exactly. by start by conceptualizing your health differently. And I think that's a very, very powerful idea. Yeah, yeah, that's it, isn't it? You're 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 completely reframing your health, which is actually what the section says, but <laughs> I wanted to hear your thoughts. I wanted to hear what you had to say about it. Yeah. In the end, I think this principle is all about mindset. And, you know, as opposed to focusing on what are small, you know, what are components of your health, obviously your weight does have some impact on your health, but it's not, it's not the big picture. And, you know, I think instead of focusing on each of the small sort of issues that we can focus on around health, we need to look at our health as an overall system we need to think about things that are going to optimize that system. That's powerful. 
I, you know, I think about it not simply in terms of, of physical health, but also in terms of every other kind of, of system that we live inside, our, our mental health, our emotional health, our social health, our spiritual health. It's, it's not, you're not healthy in those things if you hit a particular target. You're healthy in those things if you live a particular way. Um, I think that's, yeah. yeah, I think that's very well said. And I think, you know, what we oftentimes see, what I see with my patients, what I have seen in myself is improving, you know, focusing on metabolic health as a big picture has led to all of those improvements, you know, that you just mentioned. It has improved my mental health. It has reduced my stress. It has led to me losing weight. But again, losing weight wasn't the primary focus. When you get metabolically healthy, people that need to lose weight are going to lose weight. Yeah. Um, I think it's, I, I think that's such an important reframing that you have done with your message is, is you don't really talk about how much do you weigh or even your, uh, what is it? Body fat, metabolic, whatever the BMI is. You, you talk about metabolic health and the, the, the weight of your body is almost a byproduct to being metabolically healthy. Okay. Enough on that. Um, chapter, uh, the next one is, uh, eat real whole food. Right. And you know, this is something that I repeat often I've, you know, already said it many times in our previous episodes um, that eating whole real food is the overall dietary strategy, the overall way of eating that is going to allow people to optimize their metabolic health. Okay. But what does that really mean? Real whole food. Those are two different adjectives. Explain what is real versus what is not real. What is whole food? What as is as opposed to, I guess, what is not whole food? Yeah. And I think, you know, what I say is real whole food is the food that comes from the earth and the things that eat the things that come from the earth. So we're basically talking about animal products, animals and animal products, plant products, and fruits. And then, but, you know, but where do you draw the line? Well, here's, you know, here's an example. I had, I'm, I'm not proud to admit this, but I'm going to be honest and transparent. I ate really well yesterday with the exception of, I had a corn dog. Now that corn dog is, it's a hot dog, which is allegedly all meat. And I use that word advisedly. Right. And it's, it's inside, uh, what's basically fried cornmeal. So it's corn that grows in the earth and it's hot dog. That is an animal product. But, you know, as many people will understand, when you look at that corn dog, you can basically no longer tell that it came from the earth or it was eating things that came from the earth. So, yeah, in some way it does combine a bunch of things that maybe came from the earth 
with probably a lot of things that didn't, you know, come from the earth. So again, the concept is, you know, real whole food is simple. You can look at it and you can know what's in it. Um, I really say that most of the food that you eat should not have an ingredient list because it shouldn't need it. Right. You know, it should be meat or it should be broccoli or it should be an apple. Um, or if it does have an ingredient list, it's, you know, very short, less than three or four ingredients. And all of those are whole real foods that you can identify. When we start getting into these processed foods, you know, when it's no longer um, beef and it's now a hot dog that probably contains a lot of other things besides beef, we're no longer in the whole real food category. When Is we're that- talking about corn, you know, oil or corn products, corn byproducts, instead of the actual corn, we're no longer talking about real whole food. Is the the practice of only shopping around the, the perimeter of the grocery store, is that a is that a good heuristic to use? Yes, it is. And I, I talk about that in the book, you know, that the way that most supermarkets are laid out these days, the outer perimeter of the supermarket is where you're going to find the whole real food. So, you know, a lot of... Uh, I know most of the supermarkets I go to, they have the the produce section, um, you know, your fruits and your vegetables. And then they're going to have a meat section and a seafood section and a dairy section. And, you know, that's sort of going to be the outer perimeter. And then on the inside, on the middle of the supermarket, the other usually 80 to 90 percent of the supermarket is all not whole real food, all processed foods, all uh, a term that I've borrowed uh, from one of my good friends uh, is near food objects. And these, these again, are things that we know are not real food, you know. (laughs) So, you know, one way to look at that, like I said, is kind of with the ingredient list. Either it shouldn't have an ingredient list or it should just have two or three or four simple ingredients. The other way to look at this that I think is helpful for people is if, you know, our ancestors, our grandparents, great grandparents, you know, more than 100 years ago, were not eating that food. It's probably a food that we shouldn't be eating. Okay, there we go. That's a nice, simple heuristic that we can use. I, I know when I go to the grocery store. Um, I'm, I'm smart enough to have learned not to go when I'm hungry because that is a recipe for terrible decisions. However, I still want to have a really simple rule of thumb. I can go buy. I like that one. If your great grandparents didn't need it, don't buy it. Sounds good. I think that's a real simple one for people. All right. Um, here's one that I'm really interested in hearing you expand on principle three make one sustainable change at a time that obviously doesn't need a lot of explanation that particular sentence but dive under the surface and and explain why that is a principle of metabolic health yeah again i think this gets back to you know sustainability and kind of mindset issues um that you know oftentimes people will try and change a lot of things at once 
And, you know, this might apply to health or, or really, you know, life in general. You know, when things are going wrong, sometimes we'll want to just start over and change everything. And again, there are a couple of problems that come up with that. First of all, it tends to be overwhelming for people. You know, when they're told that they need to change all of these things at once or, you know, if they're trying to learn for themselves and try and change a whole bunch of things at once, it just becomes very overwhelming. And in the end, you know, most people end up not changing anything because they're so, so overwhelmed by changing everything. And the other issue I find with changing a lot of things all at once is you know, if you do have success, you don't know what worked because you've changed all of these things. Oh. And if you don't have success, you're not sure what didn't work, you know, out of all those changes, because it's likely that some of the things you changed, you know, were positives. But if they're mixed in with a bunch of other negative things, you might not realize that they were positive. So that's why I think, you know, changing one thing at a time uh, is a strategy that helps, you know, with success. So that's that, kind of the scientific approach to fixing it. Let's control all the variables as much as possible, make one change, observe the results, and, you know, go from there. Exactly. And then I think, you know, when you have success with the one thing, it then leads into the next thing. And again, this is something I oftentimes see with my patients. It's not unusual that someone comes to me and, you know, the first thing I usually talk to them about is changing the way that they eat and they'll make the changes in the way that they eat. And this person, you know, let, let's say it's an overweight person who hasn't been, you know, very active and, you know, they don't exercise. And, you know, in the past, you know, they've tried to kind of, again, do it all at once, you know stop eating all the foods they were eating and start going to the gym for two hours a day and, you know, trying to change their sleep and their stress and all of this at once. And instead, you know, what I find that works is, okay, let's just start with, you know, what we're eating. Let's get that going well. And then, you know, we'll move on to the next thing. And oftentimes I don't even have to tell them to move on to the next thing because they start eating well, they, you know, start to lose some weight. They start to feel better, more importantly. And then they'll come back to me and say, hey, I started exercising, you know, just because I had all this energy and I felt right. great. And so I think that, you know, ultimately that, again, leads to better sustainability. All right. So I guess the summary is operate like a scientist. Don't try to run 23 different experiments all at the same time that are all dependent upon one another test for one variable control and make that change until you see whether or not it works and then add another one. All right. I thought that was where you were going to go, but I, I appreciate, um, appreciate you open it up a little bit more. So much of this is mindset, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. And, um, you know, ultimately, I think the best thing that helps with mindset, that the best thing that helps with sustainability is getting good results. And that's, you know, kind of what I tend to focus on. People find that these things work for them. And I've seen it over and over in the patients I work with. And that's why I thought it was so important to put these in the book so that, 
everyone no. can benefit from this information. Now, principle for meta uh, move it seems pretty obvious, but you've got a couple of uh, a couple of things to say that are I think are well, they're interesting to me. One is you actually go into exercises that work, and uh, you also talk about what you call the cardio conundrum. Expand on those. Yeah, so you know, most people when they have been you know, kind of what they have learned in the past about losing weight was the eat less, move more kind of thing. And right. for them, that oftentimes means exercise, going to the gym or, you know, doing these long bouts of cardio. And what I want people to understand is that it's important to move more, just move more. And that doesn't mean that you need to exercise for hours at a time. It doesn't mean that you need to spend a whole lot of time in the gym. And so I give simple tips for people to try and incorporate more movement throughout their day. Things like using the stairs instead of the elevator or parking farther away in the parking lot. None of this is, you know, groundbreaking concepts that I came up with on my own. These are all things that people have heard. But I think what oftentimes gets lost in the discussion around exercise, especially when you're talking about, you know, weight loss, is that if we go and we do an hour of dedicated exercise, you know, we all say, OK, I'm going to go to the gym for the hour. or I'm going to go outside and I'm going to run for the hour. And then we spend the rest of our day sitting around, you know, whether it's sitting at your desk doing work, whether it's sitting around watching TV. But, you know, basically the only activity we get is that hour at the gym. That is not going to support your metabolic health. That is not going to help you lose weight. So I would rather see you move more constantly throughout your day. And maybe you don't get that exercise session in. Maybe you do. But if you are just moving more throughout your day, ultimately that is going to better support your metabolic health uh, than the dedicated exercise session and then just sitting around the rest of the day. So I think that's one of the important concepts that people need to understand. So it's more important to make it a habit of taking the stairs up to your third floor office and back down for breaks and back up and back down for lunch and back up and back down for breaks and back up for lunch than it is to sit in your office all day long and go get an hour of cardio. That's interesting. Yes. And I guess I that is just a habit of simply moving more. Yeah, exactly. And you know, huh. when you look, okay. when, when you look at, you know, what has happened in our society over time, we just move a lot less. And despite the fact that, you know, more people go to the gym and there are more gyms, you know, in existence on, it seems like every mm -hmm. corner, you know, in most towns and cities, there's a gym now. And so we have all these gyms and people are members at these gyms and they're going to these gyms all the time, yet we're getting less and less healthy. And again, if you think back to what your great grandparents did, what your grandparents did, they were just moving throughout their day, you know, whether... It was because, you know, we didn't have cars as readily available and you walk lots of places, 
whether you were working, you know, on your farm or, or doing, you know, other manual labor throughout the day um, or just, you know, kind of it used to be very normal after dinner to take that walk around the neighborhood and go say hi to all your neighbors, um, something that very rarely gets done these days. But it turns out that those habits are all, you know, those are all good habits that are going to support your health that we've lost. Okay. And then the old cardio conundrum, is that all wrapped up in there? I think that is, you know, wrapped in, up in there. Uh, and I think the other thing that's important for people to understand is that when you're looking at what is going to keep you metabolically healthy throughout your life, building and maintaining muscle so doing resistance exercises when you are, you know, if you're choosing to exercise and you have limited time to do it, as most of us do, I like people to prioritize the muscle building and muscle maintaining resistance exercises as opposed to, you know, cardio, because the data is quite clear that the more muscle you can maintain as you get older the longer you're going to live and the better quality of life you're going to have during the time that you live. So, uh, wow. You know, I remember Dr. Kenneth Cooper from uh, Dallas when I was, when I was in college, he just came out with his aerobic program and there were all kinds of claims made about the, the incredible value of doing aerobic exercises. And there was all kinds of aerobic, this and aerobic, that there was an explosion of aerobics. And certainly you're not saying that doesn't work or I, I, okay. Simple. I'm confused. <laughs> yeah. I Help think me out. I think ultimately what it comes down to is it's not the most effective use of of people's time. And a lot of time, you know, a lot of the science shows that from a purely weight loss standpoint, cardio doesn't work. Um, you know, most uh, what oftentimes ends up happening is people who do a lot of cardio, you know, when they're trying to lose weight, end up eating more and you know, it kind of counteracts the fact the the um, effects of the cardio. So, from a purely oh, weight loss, back up. yep. S say that again. People who tend to do a lot of cardio exercise when they are trying to lose weight, most of the time end up eating more, and it basically negates the effects of the cardio exercise. So. <laughs> <laughs> the studies show that cardio is not effective for weight loss. Now, again, I want to be clear. I'm not saying that cardio exercise is not beneficial. Um, it, it does seem to help with res, you know, cardiorespiratory fitness we talk about. Um, it, a lot of people get mental health benefits, you know, just kind of being out in nature, especially if you're running outside, uh, you know, has some positive effects. But purely from a weight loss standpoint, it's not very effective. It may not be effective at all at losing weight. And as I said, you know, more important, if you want to remain metabolically healthy throughout your life is to maintain muscle mass. So if you have limited time to spend, you know, exercising, I would rather see that 
be focused on resistance exercises that are going to build and maintain muscle than doing cardio. Okay. All right. And I do think it's fascinating that <laughs> that most people trying to lose weight who who do it with by by trying to trying to trying to lose weight by doing cardio immediately negate the benefits of the cardio with their next meal. Well, and uh, you know, it's very you know, we all know that almost every gym, you know, contains a snack bar. And when you actually pay attention to, you know, a, a lot of these, you know, let's say you're on the treadmill and it's telling you how many calories you're burning, which may or may not be accurate, but let's say for, let's accept that it is. And, you know, you'll run on that treadmill and you'll burn, let's say 250 calories is maybe average, maybe 300 calories if you're really pushing it. And then those same people will go right out to the snack bar and have some three or 400 calorie smoothie uh, that, you know, they think is healthy. <laughs> and, you know, so I don't mean to laugh, but I, well, but I, it is you, ironic. It is very ironic, you know, and as I said, you know, we have all these gyms and we're not getting any healthier. So uh, there doesn't seem to be a very good correlation there. <laughs> OK, I for some reason that just that really strikes me funny. OK, Um I could I could just riff on this one for quite a while, but I'm I'm gonna let it go. All right. Uh principle number five. Sleep yeah. enough. Now, frankly, I gotta tell you, the idea of getting more sleep, I love that. I'm I am I don't know why that's not number one, because I would jump all over that. But let's let's go into the science about sleep and metabolic health. Right. And you know, the first thing is notice that I say sleep enough. I don't say sleep eight hours, nine hours, 10 hours, seven hours, uh, because I don't think we have very good science, you know, to pinpoint the amount of time we need to sleep. I think what we do know is that getting adequate sleep is very important to your health. And, you know, sleep is when our bodies, you know, do rest and repair. And we know that if you're not getting enough quality sleep, it is very hard to remain healthy. So, you know, the two parts of sleep that I like to focus people on is, first of all, the quality of your sleep. So making sure that the time that you spend sleeping, again, is effective rest time. And that goes into, you know, having the right sleep environment and, and you know, not having a lot of distractions uh, and just making sure that, you know, the time that you're spending in bed is, is effectively spent again. Now, but, I know there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of research and tools and tips and techniques about what do they call it? Sleep hygiene, sleep hygiene, Are there a handful right. that you, that you uh, that you think would benefit the most people in the least amount of time? Well, I think there probably is, you know, good benefit to making sure that your room is very dark, um, maybe even using, you know, a sleep mask to uh, assist with that if you can't get your room dark enough. I think there is some, you know, utility in 
trying to avoid the artificial lights that come from our screens, you know, too close to going to bed. Uh, maybe, you know, using maybe if you can't do that, you know, things like blue blocking glasses might have some beneficial effect there. But but certainly preferable to avoid the artificial lights and the screens too close to bed uh, than just trying to negate their effect, I think, with the blue blocking glasses. And then, you know, things like having your TV on at night, you know, I think are, are not good habits to have uh, regarding metabolic health as well. And the other thing that I often talk to people about is also, you know, again, paying attention to when you eat, when you eat and what you're eating, uh, you know, too close to bedtime. Certainly, if we have a lot of sugar, a lot of caffeine uh, too close to bedtime, that's going to be a negative for most people. Drinking alcohol right before you go to sleep, also usually not a good you know habit to support your sleep. Uh, so these are the things that I try and get people to pay attention to. And then, you know, like I said, just getting enough sleep, whatever that amount of time is for you. And, and the best test uh, I think people can do around that is, if you still feel tired when you wake up in the morning, it means you have not gotten enough sleep, enough quality sleep. So you should wake up feeling refreshed and energetic uh, first thing in the morning. Reverse question. Suppose I'm just not getting good sleep. Is that, is that a symptom of metabolic unhealth? It, it can be. And, you know, what I find is when people improve their metabolic health, their sleep quality improves. Uh, and there, there may be, you know, there are sometimes some direct effects from that. You know, for instance, sleep apnea is one of the conditions that commonly causes people not to get enough quality sleep. And we know that sleep apnea is associated with poor metabolic health. So that can be a direct, you know, effect. Um, but otherwise, it just seems that, you know, a lot of the effects that come with good metabolic health, like having stable blood sugar levels, support getting good sleep. So in the end, I can tell you personally, as I have improved my metabolic health, I actually require less sleep in terms of amount, less hours of sleep a night to feel, you know, good in the morning. So whereas I used to, you know, need the pretty typical eight to nine hours of sleep a night to really wake up feeling good, now I can oftentimes get by with five or six hours of sleep at night and still wake up feeling great. So I think improving your metabolic health tends to better your sleep and getting better sleep is going to help improve your metabolic health. Uh, a virtuous circle there. You know, sometime I think it would be fun to have an entire episode where we talk just about sleep, but we won't do that uh, here. <laughs> okay. Uh, principle six. Principle six is relieve stress. And again, you know, I don't, I don't say eliminate stress. Um, I know our world today is very stressful. I, people have a lot of stressors in their lives. But I think it's important to have some way of relieving and alleviating that stress. And I don't really give, you know, one way of doing this. I think this this is different for everyone. You know, for some people, this becomes religion. 
and that helps them to kind of relieve stress. For some people, this is a meditation practice. For some people, this is just being part of a, you know, of a community of some sort. Um, but whatever it is for you, you know, we have to we have to realize that we are going to have a lot of stress around us, but we have to come up with a good way of relieving that stress. And I think that is another important component to metabolic health. That's interesting. Um, you know, we talk about stress management, stress relief, stress control, and we just talk about it simply because it feels better to not be all stressed out. But you're saying that excess stress or uh, probably a better way to say that is poorly managed stress actually contributes to poor metabolic health. I think we all know that it doesn't feel good and we don't like it, but that it actually contributes to a, a degradation of your metabolic health. That's a new idea for me. All right. The big one, get a doctor who gets it. I think, you know, anybody who's listened to you would go, oh yeah, I would love to get a doctor who gets it, but how? <laughs> yeah. So I think, you know, the first part of this concept is again, taking an active role. Um, you know, we, we've talked about this, we've touched about it in previous episodes that you need to be an active participant in your health. You need to be in charge of your health. So, and part of that is finding partners, you know, that will help you. And physicians or other healthcare practitioners are very important partners in this journey. What I tell people is, you know, your doctor should be supportive of what you're doing if it's improving your health. And, you know, again, from a you know, kind of practical standpoint, what I see oftentimes happening is that people will start to make these changes. You know, they'll eat whole real food. Uh, they'll, you know, adopt some of these other principles that we've talked about and they'll improve their health. Their metabolic health markers will all improve. But sometimes, you know, there'll be one particular metric, one or two metrics that don't improve. Maybe they even get what is perceived to be worse. Uh, and, and quite frankly, this comes up around cholesterol a lot of the time. Uh, when mm -hmm. people, you know, start eating, when people get off of their low fat standard American diet, which was clearly not supporting their health, and they go, let's say, to more of a ketogenic high fat, you know, diet, and their cholesterol level goes up some, Many times doctors will immediately say you can't do that. That's not healthy only because the LDL cholesterol has gone up and they ignore the fact that their patient's blood sugar has come down and their high blood pressure has come down and they've lost weight and they're feeling better and, and all of these things. And they'll only focus on that one metric. And so that is an example of how your physician can be actively working against you, essentially. And I just don't think that that's, you know, a good uh, situation to be in. So I think you have to find a physician who is going to support you in your goals, who is going to be curious about the same things that you're curious about. You know, 
if the physician's only answer to your health problems is, let me give you this medication, and they don't talk to you about how, you know, what you eat and, you know, stress and sleep and all of these things are playing into your health, I don't think that that's a very good, you know, situation to be in. I don't think that that's someone being a good physician, quite honestly. So have you got any guidance for how somebody can find that kind of physician? Well, I do. You know, I think uh, like a lot of things in life, first of all, this comes down to sort of your networks and your contacts and, you know, word of mouth uh, is very important. You know, if there's someone in your life who has made some of these changes and had great success and, you know, they talk about their doctor who helped them through it, you know, that that would be a good physician to, you know, to look at. Um we have a very active online community these days centered around metabolic health. And, you know, a lot of those websites have uh, physician finder, uh, you know, physician directories. Uh, so there is something called the Society of Metabolic Health Practitioners. Uh, their website has a good directory. What was um, that first one? The Society of Metabolic Health Practitioners. I thought you mentioned one prior to that. Okay. Um. There is, uh, you know, there are a number of other uh, uh, directories out there uh, that might help or, or the online communities, you know, that are focused on metabolic health uh, might help as well. And uh, ultimately, you know, you can go to my website and you can contact me. And if, you know, for whatever reason, geographically or, or something, you know, I'm, I'm not the right physician to work with you. Uh, hopefully I can help you, you know, find other like-minded physicians uh, that will work with you to support your metabolic health. But ultimately, I think it's a matter of, you know, you can start with your own physician. You can go to them and say, listen, you know, this is something that I'm considering doing. What's your thought about this? And, you know, if their only answer is, oh, no, that's never going to work. Uh, you know, that might not be a good uh, physician to work with. <laughs> if they're curious, if they're yeah. willing to, you know, say, okay, let's see how it goes. You know, that's at least a good starting point. Well, and I think this is a good point for me to interject a reminder that you do have a telemedicine practice. You're licensed to practice medicine in uh, more than one state. So for you that are listening and need uh, the guidance of a physician who gets it, Dr. Ovedia's um, website is ovediahearthealth.com. And you can follow him on Twitter at iFixHearts. And Dr. O, I think that should be a wrap for this episode. I agree. This was a great conversation, Jack. We will talk to you next time. Chances are you wouldn't be listening to this podcast if you didn't need to change your life and get healthier. So take action right now. Book a call with Dr. Avadia's team. One small step in the right direction is all it takes to get started. Contact us at ifixhearts.com slash talk. That's ifixhearts.com slash talk.